Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with engineer-producer Mark Phillips, and we think we've got a special show for you today because we've got a special guest. We're going to be talking to a former player that's not only one of Alabama's all-time greats. His progeny have also earned a place in the pantheon of Crimson Tide stars. But before we get to our guest, we got to say we're pumped up about the position the Tide's put itself in up to this point in the season. We've got an open date this Saturday before we jump on a jet and crash the party in Columbia where we'll mix it up with Missouri. The people from PETA can take a chill pill because these type tigers aren't on the endangered list yet. But the cats up there that were mouthing off about Georgia playing old man football are about to find out what grown man football feels like. We've all heard that saying they're known for up there, I'm from Missouri, you gotta show me. Well, trust me, they're gonna be shown what we've always known about how it'll be in the SEC. It's hard to believe we're almost halfway through the schedule. I guess I'm just different from most people. The season goes by way too fast for me. I wish it lasted longer. Getting to the big game in Miami means so much more when you savor every Saturday in the season. Most media make fun of coaches' cliches, but having an unflinching focus on first things first always facilitates the quest to be the best. We all realize some games rock the Richter scale more than others, but like Coach Stallings said so many times about playing supposedly lesser opponents, if you don't think it's a big game, just go and lose it. Talk radio's already in a regular rant about who's going to play who in the BCS championship game as if the wins it takes to get there don't even matter. Sports Center's biggest buzz just about every week is about Northwest South Central State shocking the university of somebody big. In any event, Bama came out jazzed up in Jerry's place and made Michigan look pretty mediocre. Western Kentucky may have played us as tough as anybody so far. I don't think anybody thought we'd hang a half a hundred on the hogs, but I guess between injuries, motorcycle mamas, and an interim coach with a kind of a creepy side, it's probably going to be a long season for the other white meat. I doubt Daniel Moore will be painting any portraits from the FAU game, but just being in Bryant-Denny is plenty for me. And speaking of stadiums, before we had to cave in to conference scheduling requirements and started playing the Confederates in Oxford, we'd actually played game against Ole Miss in Montgomery, Mobile, Birmingham, Jackson, Mississippi, Columbus, Mississippi, and get this, Greenville, Mississippi. Hotty toddy, gosh almighty, what was up with that? We've also played them in the Big Easy, where we beat them 12-7 in the 1964 Sugar Bowl in one of their rare appearances there. So Ole Miss may know what it means to miss New Orleans, but we don't because we played there so many times we probably ought to be paying property taxes. A couple of quick notes. The Alabama softball team was presented with their national championship rings during a big celebration at Rhodes Stadium last Friday night in front of a packed house. If you haven't been to a game there, you gotta go. You'll love it. Tuscaloosa Mayor Walt Maddox was named Municipal Leader of the Year by American City and County, a publication that's been recognizing outstanding state and local governments since 1909. University of Alabama officials nominated him because of his exemplary leadership, especially with regard to his handling of the many issues resulting from the April 27 tornado. Tuscaloosa's really got it going on these days, and Mayor Maddox is playing a huge part in it. The cooperation between the city and the university's never been better, and he is so richly deserving of this honor. And it's an honor for me to introduce our guest today. He lettered four years at Alabama, 
played on the 1979 national championship team, was All-SEC twice, and was an All-American in 1982. He had 16 career interceptions, and three of those picks led to his being named MVP in Coach Bryant's last game at the 1982 Liberty Bowl. Wow. He played four years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and during his two seasons with the Denver Broncos, he played in Super Bowl XXII. Jeremiah Castile, thanks for taking time to talk to us today. Oh, my pleasure, Steve. It's so good to have you in the house. Right off the bat, I got to ask you about that hit against Illinois and the Liberty Bowl that they show on the video screens <laughs> at Bryant Denny. It's one of the great hits in history. What's it like being on that highlight reel every Saturday at home games? And what was it like playing in a game that had so that was so meaningful to so many people? Well, probably for me, it was meaningful because it was Coach Bryant's last game, and it was my last game as a senior, and I was that was a very emotional game for me. Had to be. And, uh, I, I tell you a quick story. I had a chance to, in the four years I was at Alabama, I probably didn't say four words, but you know that last game, I really felt prompted to get up right before the game and share with Coach Bryant how I really felt about him. Come on. And uh, so I, I raised my hand right there, We, you know, five minutes before we're getting ready to go out. And I said, Coach, can I say something? And he said, yeah. And I got up and I said, Coach, you know, I want to thank you for everything you've done for me. So, you know, I came here four years ago as an 18-year-old boy, but tonight I'm leaving as a 22-year-old man. Mm. And I said, Coach, there's no way we're going to lose this game tonight. And, uh, Steve, I felt like if I had to play it by myself, we was going to win that game. <laughs> well, I remember it very, very clearly, Owen. It was so cold that night, but it was hot on that field because I'm going to tell you what, it may have been one of the hardest-hitting games I've ever seen. I know Russ Wood had a great game that night. And, of course, you had three picks in the game, and, and that, that hit on that re Illinois receiver, bless his heart, I thought you was going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, that, that, that uh, play being shown in Bryant Denny, uh, you know, 30 years later and having – uh, three sons that went on to Alabama. My name kind of got lost there, and I became known as uh, Tim and Simeon and Caleb's dad instead of <laughs> Jeremiah Castillo. And so when that that play comes up, uh, and they 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 show that number nineteen, uh, I think it kind of remind my sons that hey, your, your pops had something to him back then. <laughs> Well, you know, speaking of Coach Bryant, you had the honor of being a pallbearer at Coach Bryant's funeral, uh, which was uh, held at First Methodist Church in Tuscaloosa, where my, my mother used to go. Uh, it was it was amazing the list of celebrities from all over the world that were that, that were there. It had to be a very moving, emotional experience that day. What was it like being such an inside part of what went on that day? Being around Coach Bryant for four years and being a pallbearer, I, I tell you what stands out, and I remember it, it. What comes to my mind is Coach Bryant impacted so many people. Yes. He impacted. We're riding from Tuscaloosa to Birmingham, and there's people all along uh, the highway. Even on the overpasses. Right. And uh, I, we're pulling out, and as we're pulling out of Tuscaloosa, there are people crying. And, you know, I'm 22 years old. I, I'm thinking to myself, well, they didn't know him personally. Why are you crying? And uh, it showed me that, you know, Coach Bryant uh, really was larger than life in the fact that he he impacted a lot of people. His life impacted a lot of people. And I think deep down inside, Steve, for myself, 
I, I, uh, my journey had started in life, but I, I kind of made up my mind. You know what I want to do? I want to impact people with my life. And I know you're doing that because I've been following you too. You know, your, your, your career at Alabama coincided with Coach Bryant's last four years as, as a former player under him, being coached by him and, and the coaches he coached. What are the things uh, about those four years in your training and your coaching and your mentoring that have stayed with you over these years? Probably the first thing would be discipline. The discipline that uh, we, uh, we had to have to get through every practice, the games, uh, graduating, uh, your academics, the work ethic, and I would say overall was I took away his philosophy about life. And Coach Bryant used to uh, share with us and we come in meetings and he say, man, I just want you to get a little bit better today. You know, doing two a days. And Coach Bryant would hold his index finger and thumb up and I'd look at that and say, well, I could do that. <laughs> you know, because it wasn't much. And you did too. Right. But uh he had a way of knowing, well, if I can get that much out of you psychologically, you know, you look at that and say, well, I can do that. Whereas, the, you know, when you look at the day and you, he didn't ask you for that much. He just asked you for a little bit. And I, 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 I get when I look at that, Coach Brian had a way of saying, well, if I can get a little bit more out of you today, that little bit add up to a lot of bits is what I said. You know, there's so many similarities uh, between Coach Bryant and Coach Saban, the attention to detail. They're so meticulous so prepared, so um, so involved with the process it takes to be successful. We've mentioned this before, but Coach Bryant used to say, you know, most people have the will to win. Not everybody's got the will to prepare to win. And I really think with Coach Saban and with Coach Bryant, uh, that similarity is, is, is a factor that helped them attain the success over a long period of time. Uh, that they've both enjoyed and that we're reaping the rewards of even today. You know, it must make you awfully proud to have sons that have worn that crimson jersey too. Tim and Simeon both had great careers at Bama, and Caleb's wearing number 33 right now, if I'm not mistaken. Is he still in 33? He's in number 17. 17. Okay, number 17 switched up year. on me. Yes. Okay, well, I'm glad we found that out. Caleb Castile, number 17. What are they doing these days, and how are they doing these days? Tim is actually coaching at Alabama. He is an assistant running back coach. He's in. He's a grad assistant, offensive grad assistant, helping coach Burton Burns with the running backs, enjoying it. And this is uh, his first year. Uh, really been a, a great. Op- it is a great opportunity for him. So he gets to re- be around Coach Saban, and there's just a lot he can learn from that. Great staff. Yes, yes, and uh, for the you know coach. Coach Burns, who's been in the coaching business, you know, 40-plus years or so, it's just great for Tim. And uh, like last week, I, we were there after chapel. Coach Burns comes by, and uh, we're sitting out there and talking. And he kind of every week he's he's talking about what, what he wants Tim to learn as a as a running back coach. And so he, he uh, walks up to me and said, Coach, uh, we were, we, Tim was learning no compromise this week, no compromise. And uh, – so I'm kind of wondering what he's talking about. And he walks off and Tim says, he's talking about those players that those running backs that you got to teach them. You can't compromise if you're going to be great. 
you can't compromise with being average. You're going to have to do take care of those little things. So, you know, it's been neat for Tim. Simeon is still trying to play in the NFL. Yep. He is training down in Florida. He was with the Vikings last year, and he got released. So he's trained, standing in shape, and hoping that he can get a chance to uh, continue to play. And Caleb is uh, a junior at walk-on, defensive back at at the university. And uh, the thing that uh, has been great for him, he's – He's been sitting up on the coach saving this will be his third year. And what I really wanted uh, Caleb to walk away with after four years is just all of the leadership skills that he can he will have acquired from being up on the coach saving. You know, one thing that strikes me, uh, because I read a lot about what goes on down there, uh, I didn't certainly didn't play, but I follow it fairly closely or as closely as I can. And what strikes me about these kids that, that imp- that's so impressive is these these student athletes go down there uh, that are they're all good athletes, many of them great athletes, and a few of them are elite athletes. Uh, they go down there, they're in school full time. They have to be to be eligible. They're in a strength and conditioning program that I can't even imagine uh, trying to get through. Uh, they have study hall, they have team meetings, uh, they eat on a schedule. And at some point, I guess they get a few hours of sleep every day. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure most people ever go in, through anything where you've basically got two full-time jobs between the ages of 18 and 22 and manage to make it all the way through it. I think the kind of kids that make it through four or five years uh, on that team are some of the most exceptional, most m- mature kids that you could ever imagine and it's got to make you awfully awfully proud that 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 they're just even on the team you know that's that's just an amazing thing when you when the guys come home when tim and simeon and caleb are sitting around a dinner table or sitting around watching a game well you know you're all players and and you're all related what do you football wise what do you guys talk about what do you what do you like to what do you like to harp on when you're watching a game (laughs) well we're um I'm I'm a former player, oh, yeah. <laughs> but we uh, I I tell you what uh, it'd be like when I was sharing with the, the the players last week in 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 chapel. I said, hey, you know, when you go out today, the the fans will be looking at the game, but your coaches are seeing the game, and there's a difference between looking at a game and seeing a game. And I say, because your coaches see because uh, they have the they have the playbook. They know what's run. They know how it's supposed to be run. So when we're sitting around talking, because we know what's in the playbook, it, it, we get down to probably we looking at the details of of things and you where can, somebody's feet are in a stance. Yes, and all just all of the technical stuff, the fundamentals, yeah. and uh, so when I'm watching a football game, a lot of times I'm I don't I really don't enjoy it like a fan does. It's more clinical. Yes. I'm watching it from a coach's eye, former player's eyes. So you're not just following the ball? No, sir. But, you know, uh, we still have fun with that because you can, when you know uh, the positions and how players are supposed to do things and you, 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 sometimes when you see what you think is stupid stuff, <laughs> you know, you really, you'll laugh more than the average person because you say, man, was that dumb. (laughs) So uh, we we kind of we we do that and uh, we we'll talk about it and uh, 
we keep things lighthearted. Uh, we try to keep a lot of – you have to make football fun. Man, football is too tough a game for it not to be fun. Boom, I can't imagine. So you, we keep – and that's the way when I played. I, my philosophy was, man, I'm going to have fun today. You get, by, you get through the hard part when it's like that. Well, I don't see how you could do it if it wasn't fun, especially in college because you're not getting paid. At least you're not supposed to be getting paid. <laughs> you know what? And it, it, it is. It's great when you can play for coaches that make it fun also. And uh, we, I just had fun playing, especially the games. I, I was talking to a young man on the sideline last week, and we was talking. I said, man, practice. He said, well, tell me about when Coach Bryant, when you – Coach, what was it like in practice here? Long. I said, man, it was. I said, where was the NCAA back when I played? 20 hour a week. <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. Man, we would talk about after the game, I mean, after after practice days. And you, I said, you know how you go? You go on maybe the study hall or you go on to your apartment. Or I said, man, we have meetings. He said, meetings? I said, yeah, man. Hey, I can remember 10, 11 o'clock getting out of me. He said, when did you do homework? I said, man, you'd be amazed when we did homework. And, uh, you know, still ended up graduating. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said, you know what, though? I said, uh, when we played the games, I said, man, was it fun. Practice was so hard that. I, you know, I've heard ex-players over the years say, especially back in those years, man, when we got Saturday, it was it was like a day off. <laughs> <laughs> you were licking your chops, man. You was, ooh, man, I we can't wait. We take it out on somebody. Yes, cause especially when you – I can remember we played – we one week, I don't remember who we played. We practiced in pads the entire week. Oh, my goodness. All the way up to that Friday. You never hear about anybody doing that. We practiced. Coach Bryant made us practice in pads. In, on Friday, before we on play Friday. on that Saturday. And uh, you, I, so I tell people, I said, man, you know we were too scared to be tired <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> you, you know, what you just said, though, is uh, about too scared to be tired. And, and I think uh, you and I both know, having the background and that we have, what a, what that there's different kinds of fear. And the kind of scared you were talking about, I, I, I think you'll agree with me, is really sort of a, a reverential awe. It's not so much a fear of being destroyed. It's a fear of letting somebody down. Right. That's correct. You know, and, and I think the coaches. Really a desire to please. Yeah. Is another way to put it. You had a tremendous desire to please because it wasn't so much about you as it was about the person that was in authority over you and what they were asking you to do and you wanting to please really a father son relationship and you as a son wanting to please your father. And that's the way I, a lot of times when I'm communicating with the players, I'm, I say, Hey, these coaches are really your fathers away from home and you, and, and a father son relationship should be one where a son wants to please his father. Those guys make your best players. Yeah, they make your best players. They're the ones that have those great those games that go down in history, like the '82 Liberty Bowl. Mm. I just really wanted to please. That wasn't just a game, right? That 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 it. it yeah, I wanted to. And please. it showed. Yeah, it showed. You know, there was. There's something about guys that that play the game for more than just personal pleasure. And, and there's certainly not, nothing wrong with the pleasure a person takes in playing the game. But I think at Alabama, 
and, and probably some other places too, but at Alabama, you can tell that there are always kids on the team uh, that it means something to more than just, hey, I'm on the football team. You know, because that legacy is so large and so long and spans so many generations, uh, it really is family. Well, Coach Bryant used to say it. He said, man, your mamas and your papas going to be sitting in the stands today. <laughs> Have you called your mama today? I sure wish I could call mine. And so he, he you know, you playing it for your family. You, he, Coach Bryant said your mamas and papas. And uh, so that, that's, and uh, you're correct in, in what you're saying. He's talking about <laughs> pleasing people and, and making people proud. You know, a lot of us remember, kind of shifting gears here, at least I remember that 87 AFC championship game when you were with Denver and you stripped the ball from Ernest Biner on the play. NFL film still calls the fumble. You know, as a professional athlete, it had to be a thrill playing with guys like John El- Elway and big games for big stakes. What sticks out in your mind about that game? And I remember it was cold, uh, but what sticks out in your mind about, about that game in those days? What really sticks out is it, 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 this may sound funny to some people. What really sticks out is God answers prayer. Amen. I was released from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers about two weeks before the season started that year. And I had been a starter since a rookie at Tampa Bay. So I was um, really hurt by that, I reckon is the words. And uh, I prayed on a, I got released on a Monday from Tampa Bay and God, uh, I asked the Lord to, Put me with Denver, believe it or not. I I was watching Denver and Miami play the preseason game that same night I got released from Tampa Bay. And I said, Lord, I sure would like to be playing in Denver. And they called me 10 o'clock the next morning. Mm. I get out to Denver, and I'm I'm what you call the nickelback in their passing situations. Third down, throwing situation, I come in as the number, as the fifth back. Gotcha. And uh, that was pretty much my role that whole year. We get to the championship, the AFC championship game, and there was an article the week of the game, and this reporter predicted that Denver would get beat that year based on they beat Cleveland the year before on the drive where John Elway took them down on the drive and throws the winning touchdown pass to, uh, I think it's to Mark Jackson. And so I'm reading that article, and I'm like, man, this guy thinks we're going to lose the game. And I and I just, a little prayer, Lord, let me get in that game and make something happen. That was my prayer. We get in that game, and we go up by 18 points at the halftime. We're up by literally three touchdowns. Second half, Ernest Biner just has his way. And, man, the next thing you know, the game is tight. And it comes down to fourth quarter, three or four minutes left, maybe five. And uh, the guy that I played behind was Steve Wilson. He caught a cramp in his calf. He couldn't go back in the game at corner, at left corner. So they put me in the game. And I'm like, hot diggity dog, boy, you answering this prayer. Here we go. Uh, That series, they drive the ball down and score a touchdown on me. They run a little 11-yard quick slant. And Webster Slaughter scores a touchdown on me. And I'm sitting there, man, I'm like, Lord, I thought you was going to allow me to make something happen in this game. 
kick the ball off to us. We don't do anything. We punted to them, man. The next thing you know, Cleveland's driving the ball 40, 50, 30, 40, 30. All, all the way down to the six-yard line, about a minute to go. And uh, I was on that touchdown pass. I was in uh, I was in a man bump position. And I line, we had a man call that on the on the fump on that play. And I'm like, man, last time I lined up like this, I got beat. I think about it back off this guy. Give so you're making an adjustment. Made an adjustment and allowed me to see the play with a quick read, what we call a quick read. So it's quick read because it was a toss sweep. And Ernest Biner and I meet about the two yard line. I beat Webster Slaughter to the uh, the his blocking point. And I'm and you know what it's like, Steve, everything slows down. And I have twenty four hours to think about what am I gonna do. I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to tackle the guy. <laughs> Ernest was, was kind of big. Yeah. And he it, could run. And he had run over everybody on the team on defense. I was like, I do not want to hit this guy. And uh I'm being honest. I said, what do I do? Really just talk to him. What do I do? And I think Ernest was so close to scoring, he started to kind of loosen up on the ball a little bit, you know, to get ready to raise. He's going to raise it up. And my t- my eyes caught the that caught my attention. He, he he's not he don't have this ball tucked away like he ought to. And uh, you know, thought says hit the ball, knock the ball out of his hand. And uh, that's what I did. And and I'm on my back on about the two yard line, one yard line, and the ball's just right there beside me. So I just had to all I had to do was roll over on the ball instead of it shooting through the end zone. It just was right there by me. Well, it sounds like a lot of years of good coaching and training, plus your natural instincts as an athlete and a little divine intervention came yeah, together, yeah. and it made history that day. That's for that's for sure. Uh, you know, not many people get to play in a Super Bowl. You definitely had a room with a view of all that. Take us through that week. We, you know, back you had two weeks of preparation, oh, that's and that's right. a long time to. I think it ought to be just, man, next week you get ready to play again because the festivities can really be a distraction for players. And uh, you can kind of lose your edge if, if you don't have that type of discipline. But we actually went into that game and we got up on them like 10 to nothing. We knocked Doug Williams out of the game. And I think it made him mad because <laughs> he came back and set a record on us. And they ended up scoring like 30-something points. I mean, before the half, and uh, I think that we jumped up on them. We literally, we went after that first quarter, we felt like we had that game, and you still had three quarters to go, and Washington really just said, hey, these guys are already, you know, they think this game is over with, and we let up a little bit, and they 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 put pushed the gas pedal, and next thing you know, it was 35 to 10 at the half. Ended up, I think, being 45 to 10, and uh, just that little bit of relaxation cost us the game. It wasn't over. The game wasn't over. And I, that's what I kind of look back at it is that we jumped on them. I think we may have been favorite that game, and we we let up, and we still had three quarters to play. Hmm. But it must have been a fabulous experience just to be in a Super Bowl. I mean, that's – it don't talk, take long to call roll in the class of folks that, that got to do that. Well, you know, uh, we we talked about prayer answer with the fumble. I actually that my, going to Super Bowl was a prayer answer to me. We in during the season, 
we lost to San Diego. And I'm sitting there with uh, one of my fellow DBs. We're flying. I still remember this. We're taking off in the airplane, heading out of San Diego. And I'm talking to one of the safeties. I said, Randy. His name was Randy Ross. I said, Randy, where's Super Bowl this year, man? He said, man, and we we gotten beat by San Diego. He said, back down there where we just got beat. And I'm kind of looking out of the plane, out the window of the plane. He's, as he's saying this, he says, it's going to be in San Diego. And uh, I just, uh, I really believe in prayer. And I said, Lord, I sure would like to be playing in San Diego in this, in this Super Bowl. Only thing I didn't ask for was a win. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Jeremiah, you know, you and I uh, used to, share the uh, similar uh, side on Sunday mornings. And uh, so uh, I know, and I know you got a lot going on these days. I know you've uh, spent some time as a uh, basically team chaplain at Alabama. What all you got going these days and what's your main focus these days with your life involvements? My main focus in our ministry is young people from, uh, I would say down at the university of Alabama with our on campus ministry of dunamis we do on Tuesday nights to the chapel program we do with the football players there. To me, speaking to uh, high schoolers, we do a lot of that. We do, uh, and here uh, we've got a couple of schools where we do book bag giveaways for elementary school. So we fo- really focus on young people and developing, pouring, investing in young people, influencing young people. And um, so that's kind of what we do in with our with our foundation, Castile Foundation. Well, I've heard you speak before. I remember you speaking at Brook Hills one one Sunday several years ago, and um, I remember uh, that it was uh, uh, very impactful and very compelling, and, and I know everybody enjoyed it that day. I'm glad that you could manage to take some time to come over and be with us today because it's been just an absolute joy for me. It's, it's fun just to sit and talk to you. And I hope you'll come back and visit with us sometime. Be happy to. Yeah, man. We're going to take our final time out to remind you to tell your Bama buddies about us. You can find us on the podcast section of iTunes. We're on Stitcher now, and we're on the web at bigbrainsmedia.com. There's a free podcast app available, too, that makes downloading and storing these priceless programming pearls easy and automatic. We're having a lot of fun with our Bama Talk Facebook page, too, so please feel free to check it out and chime in with your comments and feedback. We're getting responses from people all over the place, and we'd like to know where you're listening from, too. Well, it's time to head for the locker room and start making plans for the hillbillies and the dogs, a second set of tigers, the Aggies, whatever Western Carolina's called, and you know who later on. Thanks for listening. Till next time, take care. Have a blessed day and roll tide.